Good evening, Desert Springs Church. It is a joy to be with you in this capacity, unusual capacity and unusual point of view for me and for you. Um, we had a, had a plan and we deviated from the plan. Uh, I had an opportunity to visit a former staffer, uh, Asher Griffin, at, a church, at his church in Oklahoma uh, a couple of Sundays ago. And Ryan asked if I would like to preach the sermon that I preached for their church here tonight. So I'm thankful for Ryan's generosity with the pulpit. I'm thankful for Luke and the team that are so capably leading us in song. And I'm thankful for you all and your patience with me as we try to walk through Psalm 145 this evening together. As you're turning there to Psalm 145, and if you're using pew Bibles, which they're not pew Bibles, we don't have pews, the half-wall Bibles, it's on page 524. As you're turning there, I want you to consider last words. Have you ever thought about what you would want your last words to be? If you knew the next thing you were going to say would be the last thing you were going to say, then what would it be? Some famous last words include those of Leonardo da Vinci, It is said that he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. That's a sad thing for that man to say at the end of his life. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. I can relate to that. Augustus Toplady, who's a hymn writer, he wrote Rock of Ages, among others. He said, I enjoy heaven already in my soul. My prayers are all converted into praise. Hallelujah. Well, Psalm 145 is a last word of sorts. Not the last psalm in our Psalter, that's a few psalms later, but it is the last one attributed to King David. And King David was attributed to write around 70 of our psalms. And it's possibly not even the the latest psalm that that David ever wrote, but I think it is significant where, uh, where it is placed in the Psalter, where the human and divine authors wanted to place this. And it's, it's not coincidental, it's providential. And we should take care to notice uh, why it is here and what it has to say for us. So let's read Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, And praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's stop there. If I could put this psalm in a word, it would be, our God is great, gracious, glorious, and is worthy to be greatly praised in every generation across the globe. Do you get all those G's? That will make up our sermon outline for us tonight. Our God is great, gracious, and glorious, and worthy to be greatly praised in every generation across the globe. I see verses 1 through 13 broken up into four stanzas. The first in verses 1 through 3, we hear David sing a song of a great God. So our first point tonight is a great God. You should know that Psalm 145 is what's known as an acrostic psalm, with each line beginning with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. David, it's like he's writing a nursery rhyme for children and for adults. David uses this poetic device to help us remember, to drive deep into our memories the A to Z of who God is, what he has done, and why and how we should worship him. Notice in verse 1 how the psalmist begins in the first person. I will extol. David isn't going to ask or expect anyone to do anything that he himself isn't already doing. He is a true worship leader in this psalm. We just wrapped up our parenting class, uh, the DSI on Biblical Parenting. And we considered many topics concerning parenting. One was family worship and family discipleship, discipline, among others. And parents, we know from experience that we can't lead our children anywhere that we aren't already going ourselves. So parents, following David's example here of leading by example, your children are watching. They are listening carefully. No, it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but they are listening and they are watching. So we should show them what worship and what praise and what blessing the Lord looks like and sounds like. And not just on Sundays or Wednesday Lord's Supper services, but we should live a life consistent with that praise. Children, have you noticed they're allergic to hypocrisy? Like They don't put up with it. They don't have time for it. They, they, they spot it, and they, they call it out as the injustice that it is. So if there are no words of thanks or praise in your homes or in your lives, Monday through, thir- through Saturday, then your kids will not believe you on Sunday. So I would commend to you family worship, a regular gathering of reading, praying, singing, simple praise songs, worship songs, hymns with your kids. We do this nightly in our family, and it takes 10 minutes sometimes to just sing a hymn that our kids know, to read a psalm, to pray together, and then we, then we go to bed. This is one way, one way, and, a, and an excellent way we as parents can commend God uh, to our children, and how we can lead by example, as we see David doing here. Church leaders, Elders, deacons, community group leaders, women's, men's ministry leaders, 
Are we setting the example, like David here, of daily family and uh, corporate worship that we would want our church to follow? Our church's private and public worship will never rise above its leaders. So David led by example, and we should too. Notice in verse 2, he says, Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Every day. David is not a Sunday Christian. He does not reserve his piety and praise for the temple, but knows our God is so great and glorious, he should be extolled more than once a week. Our God is worthy every day. Every day. All day. Every day. And twice on Sundays. I know we don't have Sunday night services, but we have family worship in the Hodge home on Sunday nights. Um, You should too. Your private, personal worship will fuel the public worship of Desert Springs Church. Your public, corporate worship will fuel your private worship, and so on and so forth as the wheel turns and we build momentum unto glory. I see verses 1 through 3 in Psalm 145 as a purpose statement. David is saying, this is what I am about. If David had a chariot, these would be the bumper stickers he would put on the back. Why he exists. And notice here in this psalm that there are no notes of obligation. Only delight. Other psalms speak of, of resolve, of duty of praising, of singing for joy. We don't always come into the room with it. We sing for it, that we might gain it. But in this psalm, we don't hear any of those notes. There's no, there's no minor notes in this song. This is in the major key. I was thinking it would be kind of like husbands if we only ever considered the most praiseworthy aspects of our wives, the most beautiful attributes that was all we ever considered about our wives. Imagine the delight and devotion that that would stir up in us for our wives. And David does this with God because God only has qualities. He only has praiseworthy attributes. And so David doesn't have to, uh, doesn't have to work himself up. It is there because he knows who God is. So, let's ask a few quick questions of these first three verses. So, who is, God go- uh, who is David going to extol? His God and king. But if you know your Bible, you know that David is the king. So, how does this work? Well, David knows the proper order of things. He knows who really is the king of kings and lord of lords. And what a humble example to us that David, King David would recognize God as his king and submit to him. Do you think that this kind of passionate praise is beneath you or beneath your role or station or maybe gender? I think David would like to have a word. Men, do you think that demonstrative expressions of worship aren't manly? David, dance naked before the Lord. I'm not recommending that. We would discourage that here. But the lesson is the same. We should humble ourselves no matter who we are, no matter how highly we think of ourselves or others think of us. God is king. 
So how often? How often does David say he will praise? We've already mentioned it. Every day. It is his daily bread. And I think of it this way. It's not just giving to God praise and glory like God needs something. We're adding to God, adding to his glory. But God giving of himself to us in daily worship. Like a healthy diet or exercise routine, it shapes us, it molds us, it changes us. So does our daily worship and communion with God. It will change us. It is meant to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. And how long? How long is David going to do this? How, how, how long can he keep it up? He says, forever. See, in the verse 2, forever and ever. So if forever wasn't long enough, he added another ever at the end of it. That's how long it's going to take us to begin to praise God properly. Eternity. His infinite worth demands it. His praise will never expire. This is what we will do forever. This evening was a, a foretaste of that. Every Sunday gathering is a foretaste of that, and I can't wait to get started. Charles Spurgeon no, no sermon around here would be complete without a Spurgeon quote, so here it is. Charles Spurgeon said, Our praise of God shall be as eternal as the God we praise. So, that's how long. How much? How much do we praise God? How much can we uh, qualify it? Well, he says, in verse 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Greatly. How often do you use that word? I don't use it enough. Greatly. How much is that? How do, you, how do you measure greatly? How do we greatly praise a great God? Our praise should rise to the level of its object. But how is that possible? Well, I have a few ideas. I think, let's think of it in terms of dimensions. Heights, depths, breadth, and length. So to praise greatly would be to praise Him Highly. One practical way we do that is we sing the high notes. We sing all the notes on the scale when we sing together. We sing loud. His praise should be loud. It was loud tonight. It's loud on Sundays at times, maybe louder than some of you would like. Maybe not as loud as some of you would like. We know. We hear from you. <laughs> and Chris is doing an excellent job at maintaining <laughs> high praise for us all. But we should sing, we should, we should give a proportionate response, an appropriate response to who God is and what he has done for us. So that's heights. Depths, we praise deeply. We do that around here with all the words. You notice all the words we sing around here? Daniel back there sure does. He's, his fingers sore from all the slides he has to click through. And I, I feel like all the theology that is packed into our, song, our songs each and every week um, I think we should all get honorary seminary degrees from all the doctrine and depth that is in uh, the songs that we sing. And that is right. That is good. Look at all the words that David uses just in these first three verses to talk about how he is going to extol, bless, praise, and he goes on to declare, commend, speak, pour. David is burning through his Hebrew thesaurus and using like every note on the piano to, to praise God. He's like, this is how much God is worth. All, all the notes, all the words. And this says something to me as a, as a song leader in the church that how we praise God communicates 
to ourselves, to each other, to the watching world, how we praise communicates how much we think our God is worth. So we sing wordy songs. So that's the depth. Breath, like deep and wide, kids. Remember that song, deep and wide? That's, that's how we praise God. But I look at it this way, from one side of the room to the other, from one side of Albuquerque to the other, from one side of New Mexico, across the globe, the Lord, our God, our King, is worthy of this much praise. You ever ask your kid how much they love you? Well, if mommy asks them how much they love her, it's always this much. That's how much God is worthy of praise. What's our, what's our little motto, our slogan around here? What do we call that? Mission statement. That's right. Our, uh, we exist to spread God's glory broader and deeper. Yes. And in part, that's why we send missionaries to North Africa, to Guatemala, to uh, the Navajo Re- Reservation, because those people need to hear, and God is worthy of their praise. So that is the breath. Then length. What's the length? How do we greatly praise in the length of our praise? Well, like David said, forever and ever. We keep going. We keep going. And we'll see in this next section, it's from generation to generation. It's from parents to children and to children's children. So from one generation to another, we see in point number two, a generational God. As I just fumbled over Desert Springs' mission statement, uh, this, in this next section of verses, uh, verses four through seven, you could call this David's mission statement. So if the first three verses were a purpose statement, this is a mission statement. This is what he is going to do. This is the, the job he is after. This God is too great to keep to ourselves. His praise must spread. And it starts close. It starts at home. It starts here in our church, churches and families and community groups. And spreads. We all know that kids are like their parents. Not just in looks or mannerisms. But in our loves, our kids tend to love what we love because we spend so much time, energy, and and money on those things. And they do what we do. If you've ever met a weird kid, he probably leads back to a weird parent. (laughs) And I know because I've got some weird kids. (laughs) But I love them. But that's, that's how it works. And that's part of God's good design. And David knew this. And David wanted to leverage the most natural pedagogical relationship for God's praise. This is how we teach one another. We t- parents teach children. And children grow up, have their own children, and teach their children. So, and next, next generation is not just uh, familial, but it's, it's all who would come after us. So it's one generation to another. And have you ever looked down on a previous generation, or maybe a previous generation, or a preceding generation? You ever look down on those lazy millennials, those ADHD Gen Zers? Well, if you don't like the generation after you, David is kind of saying, well, it's a little bit your fault, just a little bit. After all, who gave them all those participation trophies? (laughs) Right? Think about it. (laughs) 
Didn't expect that to get the biggest uh, response so far. <laughs> but we know it's true. It's like, oh, well, somebody gave it to me. We did. Um, so instead of resenting the next generation, we should be commending to the next generation. We should be commending them. And commending what? We'll consider these in the next few verses. Verse 4, David says to commend his, uh, God's works and mighty acts. God's works and mighty acts. Consider his works. Have you considered the works of God? When God answers prayer, consider how he's working in that answered prayer. From our daily bread to our deathbed, God is our sustainer and provider. From creation to the cross, God made us and he has saved us in Jesus. Those are two truths that I want my kids to leave my house with. If they leave with nothing else, those two things. That God made them and God saved them through his son. We use the New City Catechism in our home. It's a question and answer format for learning doctrine. And the first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And our kids would answer that we are not our own, but belong to God. That is the central value that all of our parenting and discipleship grows out of and, and is built off of. That our kids belong to God. And through faith, they will belong to their Savior, Jesus Consider this, there is no greater work or mightier deed than the Son of God condescending to us, dying on a cross to pay the penalty of sin for those who would believe. So more than any political view, financial stability, cultural value, I want to leave my kids with a spiritual inheritance, a spiritual knowledge to know God and know the gospel. Of Jesus. And we commend Christ to each other tonight as we come to the table. We are commending, proclaiming Christ to each other and to the world. Verse 5, we see David commending the glorious splendor of his majesty. So we commend to the next generation the splendor of God's majesty. Just over a week ago, Queen Elizabeth II's funeral was broadcast and watched by millions across the globe. I watched. And I'm not a monarchist, and I've seen a couple episodes of The Crown on Netflix, um, but I was moved to tears. Um, it was beautiful. It was transcendent. Uh, it transcended a cultural moment. Millions of people watching an old lady's funeral in an old church, singing old songs, reading from an old book. So why all, the, why all the grandeur and kerfuffle, as the Brits might say, or pageantry? It all points to something. They're all shadows pointing to a substance, pointing to something greater than ourselves. Even the building itself, the Westminster Abbey, which Memo used as the background for the graphic here, the architecture is designed to point our gaze upward to God. It is meant to uh, give a sense of imminent transcendence. But are these just silly traditions? These silly things that we could do? Maybe. Maybe not. I think what could be silly is singing of our majestic God and King 
through a yawn or to stay under covers in our beds when a meeting of heaven and earth is taking place with the church. All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Who would want to miss that? And that's what happens, church, when we gather, when we sing. Earth and heaven meet to reflect the glory of God. So David here is saying that our God is worthy of great praise, not just because of what God has done. This isn't just an exchange of goods and services. But what he is, what he's like, his personality, his qualities. We reinforce this in our home often with our, with our kids when someone in our family forgets to be kind, forgets to be patient, forgets to be loving. It's a quick reminder in that correction that we are to be like God. And what God is like, he's kind, he's patient, he's loving. Or when we look at creation, that's easy to do with your kids. We have a beautiful mountain. We look at creation, we don't just stop at the fact that God made all things. Who made me? God did. What else did God make? God made all things. We don't just stop there, but ask why. Why did God make all things? Why did God make the sandias to turn pink in the sunset? What kind of a God would make a world so big and so beautiful? What kind of a God would make queso? Right? A God with glory to spare and share. Some of you think that food is a, a necessary evil or a, an inconvenience to your day. You've got to get the food so I can keep on living and go and do the important stuff. Maybe God designed us to need food, to take pauses throughout the day so that we would know, one, that we're not God, we're not infinite, we need sustenance, and that two, food is good. Oh, I love food. And it doesn't have to be good, right? God could have made us be sustained on water or not need food at all or take a pill once a day. But he made food delicious and we glorify him in our eating and enjoying it. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. But all of that to me points back to a God who is just so full of glory and majesty and beauty that he wants to share it with us. I will often eat a good meal and I just exclaim, God wants us to be happy because this is wonderful. And we could do that with so many good gifts that God gives us. It should point us back to not just what God has done in that he created, but who he is in our, as our beautiful, majestic creator. So not just his word and works, but also his worth. We're an academic church, but worship and praise of God is not merely an academic exercise, but an adoration explosion. Yes, yes, we must know things, okay? So don't get mad at me. But we are humans, and humans feel things. You can't teach longing from a textbook. That feeling 
It's not motivated simply because two plus two equals four, but because God is beautiful. God is worthy. We can't keep from singing. Christ has defeated every sin. Are you kidding me? You can't stop me from singing. I mean, it's... Have you ever been so excited that you've thrown up? (laughs) We were reminiscing with my family the other night, and one of our kids remembered a time when they were so excited about Halloween that they threw up. (laughs) And I thought, huh, that's that's excited. That's, I mean... Totally healthy, didn't eat anything weird, just excited. Which leads us to our next section. Verse 7. You'll never read this verse the same again. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. Can I get an amen? (laughs) I, I think it... At Cliffs, there used to be this uh, water park that we would take our kids to, and there was a giant bucket that would fill up, and then every once in a while would dump as it filled up. And so your kids, especially little kids, they'd be shocked by it the first time. It's just like overwhelming. But then they anticipate it, and they wait every couple of minutes. That thing fills up, and then just gushes all over the whole play place. Well, to give you another wonderful image, we've, we've said that we want to fill our kids with so much of the glory of God and and so much of the gospel that if you shook them, they would just vomit gospel everywhere. (laughs) But as a church, I think of it this way. We want to be so full, the glory of God and his grace to us in Jesus through the gospel. It's like we're filling our own private worship buckets all week. Fill them all week with a daily dose of God's goodness and praise and extolling and blessing and praising. And then we all bring our buckets up the hill to the gathering. And then we all pour them into one big bucket. And once that bucket is full, it then gushes and overflows over all of us. It, it, it's an overflowing of a tidal wave of praise. Uh, an outpouring of praise that would make a non-Christian who was here say, God is here. That kind of pouring forth his fame and loud singing doesn't happen with a once a week fill up, but through a daily dose of delighting in who God is and what he has done in our homes, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors. This was David's mission, to make much of his creator, and that should be our mission as well. Well, at this point of the song, you could hear the the instrument swell, the melody crescendo, and ascend the scale to the highest and loudest notes where we all sing in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is merciful, and he has mercy. It's who he is, and it's what he does. We need both, and we celebrate both. For your For those that know their Bibles well, you'll recognize those words. You'll hear it and say, wait a minute, I know, I've heard that before. Not just in the Psalms. Well, David uses the words of Exodus 34 when Yahweh reveals his name to Moses. So David does this, I think, for a couple of reasons. One is that it's still true in David's time. Still the same God, still the same truth. The message hasn't changed. 
And, and second, I think it shows that even David fills his songs with Scripture. As he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Scripture, he's using Scripture. <laughs> that should be a lesson to us. Uh, we should fill our songs with Scripture, and I think that we do. So, to remind ourselves of the rest of Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, uh, let me read it for us. So the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation? We are either commending God and his mercy to the next generation, or we are condemning them. We are either commending them, or we are condemning them. Condemning them to suffer for their sin. Because you noticed that Exodus 34 did have a minor fall. As it talks of a gracious God and forgiving God, but... He will not clear the guilty. And aren't we all guilty? How can that be? How can the guilty be forgiven? A debt had to be paid. The father does not look the other way. He doesn't brush it under the rug. Sins had to be atoned for. But how? Our sins were placed on Jesus on the cross and punished. The sacrifice we proclaim tonight. The Father visited the iniquity of us all on his one and only Son so that we could be forgiven. What love could remember no wrongs we've done. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Have you received this gift of grace through faith in Jesus? If you haven't, we would call on you to believe, to receive have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and gracious? Pray that you would hear this message and respond in faith today. You too could be a part of this glorious kingdom of grace. Believe it, receive it, and then make it your message to the world. And that's what we see in this final stanza of our time together tonight. Point number four is a, a glorious God and King. In this last verse of the psalm, of this song of David. He wants to remind us of where this is all headed. Like many hymns, it ends with a high note of hope and certainty of a kingdom, a kingdom that sounds too good to be true. All his work, you see it in verse 10? All his work, all your saints, sounds too good, David. All, not some, not most, all, from all time and everywhere. And what will the song be that the, all the saints sing? It will be of his kingdom and power. His kingdom is forever. And what's this kingdom like? What does he say? It's glorious. Splendid. Eternal, 
everlasting. His kingdom is like him. It's eternal. Pretty much the opposite of our own kingdoms, if we were honest, right? Our own little kingdoms we try to build that are ugly and broken, temporary. How I long for more of his kingdom and to labor for that kingdom, that kingdom that will last forever. And who is this kingdom for? Who is the invitation to? In verse 12, the children of man. I think that's just another way of saying all peoples everywhere. The children of man. We invite all people everywhere to become a citizen of heaven, a member of the kingdom choir, and to sing with us of his steadfast love. Christian, Desert Springs Church member, do you know that your singing is evangelistic? You know, your singing is commending, is showing an unbeliever what you think God is like and what he's worth. I, ha- I heard of an example of one of our uh, sisters in our church this past Sunday who, because of the way she was singing and praising God, there was somebody that noticed and wanted what she had and went up to her and asked for the great hope that was in her. How amazing is that? Doing, doing the work of the ministry every Sunday as you sing out. As we sing, come and dine in just a moment. It is an invitation to each other, to ourselves, to come, to remember that we continually feast on Christ. But it's also an invitation to our kids to come and to believe. To our neighbors. To the unbelievers that would be here tonight. So it's available to all, this kingdom, this glorious, splendid kingdom. But it is only applied to some. So we'll have to cheat and look at the end of the psalm here, go outside our verses. But if we look at the end real quick, we'll see to whom it is applied. Verse 15, it is those who look. Verse 18, all who call. Verse 19, those who fear. And verse 20, those who love him. So to summarize, who gets a passport to the everlasting, glorious, splendid kingdom of God? Well, all those who look to to Jesus in faith, who call upon his name, who fear and revere his name and love him with all their heart. You see a progression there? To look with the eyes of faith at Jesus, to call with the voice of faith, to fear and love with a heart of faith. I would invite you to do that tonight. Christians, as we do that afresh and anew tonight, be reminded, be encouraged. It is not the quality of your worship or even the quantity of your praise that makes God happy with you or makes God approve of you. It is the quality and quantity of his steadfast love and mercy in Christ that proves that he accepts you. If you are his, then you have that proof of his love displayed on the cross. So let us greatly praise him here tonight and in our homes and in our lives. We mentioned last words. Our last words reveal our greatest desires and motivations in life. Jesus' last words did that. He confirmed 
that he, came, that he did what he came to do. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven lifted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Those are some last words that we can stake our lives and our eternity on. And why we can greatly sing together now. Let's pray. O great and gracious God and Father, we give you thanks for your word, your truth. Plant it deep in us now that it may spring up fruit. Fruit of repentance and faith in Jesus. Fruit of joy in praising you. Fruit in loving the next generation by commending your kingdom and power to them. Thank you for Desert Springs Church. Thank you for these saints. Thank you for the songs that we, we sing and how they stir in us affections for you. Cause our hearts to unfold like flowers before you and before your radiant beauty as we behold it in the face of Jesus. Do that now as we sing anew the song we will sing forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen.